Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus's presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly. Have you guys heard about the Moravian 100-year prayer meeting? Did you know there was a group of believers in Germany in the 1700s that started a prayer meeting and it kept going for over 100 years? It's amazing. The story's incredible. And our guest with us today is Jason Hubbard. Welcome, Jason. Good to be with you. Jason just wrote a book, The Moravian Miracle, all about the story of the 100-year prayer meeting that changed the world. And we were just in Herrenhut, Germany together a few months ago, which was the birthplace of this 100-year prayer meeting. And we were there on the 300th anniversary of the launch of that community there. So Jason, welcome to the podcast. Excited to talk to you today about the Moravians about prayer, about missions, and about Jesus. How you doing? Yeah, doing well. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, good memories of Aaron Hoot. That was such a great time to learn about the story and be on the ground where this uh, 24-7 prayer and mission was launched from in the Protestant world. So yeah, it was so good to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for inviting me into that. It was so cool to be there, to learn more about their story, and to really be a part of keeping the tradition of day and night worship and prayer alive there as well, being able to be in the prayer room together and all that. So, well, Jason, take a minute, and before we dive into the Moravian story, just introduce yourself, let people know who you are, kind of some of what you've been doing. Sure, yeah. Been a pastor for several years now. I started in 2000, uh, pastoring a church in Bellingham, Washington, a couple hours north of Seattle, and we were a bigger church. And Part of my story is that I was a prayerless pastor, and we were a prayerless church, and that the Lord took us on a journey and taught us how to pray, at least in part. We got 24-7 prayer going in our church, and then that multiplied into our city. It was in 2008, I stepped out, and we started Light of the World Prayer Center, which was a 24-7 house of prayer, and we worked together with churches in our city. So we had nightday prayer happening in a building. People come from different local churches. And then we had 30 churches that were doing a day of prayer once a month in their church, uh, worship, saturated prayer, and intercession. That's been going on now since 2009. And so the God's doing some good things there. And then 2017, I started working with a guy by the name of John Robb, and he's the founder of International Prayer Council, Prayer Connect. It's a 20-year-old ministry at this point. And we actually met each other in Hairdo for the first time and came under his leadership and just want to honor him as a, as a true father in the global prayer movement. And so my first meeting with International Prayer Council and the leaders there was actually in Hairdo, Germany. Mm. Uh, we had 120 leaders from 34 nations, and we spent three or four days to go just praying for the nations, um, praying for that Moravian lampstand to be imparted. Uh, 2020. We had the leaders of International Prayer Connect. There's 27 in 17 nations. They came to Bellingham, and we passed the baton there. And so I've been 
serving and facilitating leading International Prayer Connect since then. So praise the Lord. Our, our vision is to exalt Jesus uh, through united prayer. We mobilize united prayer across nations, denominations, generations, and movements for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Come on. In every place, praying for all people at all times and all places. Praise the Lord. Yes. Amazing. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast here. I know you're connected with so many amazing prayer ministries and movements, and we could probably do a whole episode just sharing stories of the prayer movement in the nations as well. But I, I really want to talk about the Moravians some. I'm curious. I don't know if I've heard you answer this question or not before myself, but like, what got you interested? Like, I want to get into the details of the Moravian story because it's it's really mm-hmm. cool, and I want to talk about the heart of it as well. But like, what what got you interested in this whole thing so much so that you would write a book about it eventually. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I think two things. One, I, in the 90, or late 90s, I was working on my master's in spiritual formation at Regent College up in Canada. So that's the, the place of Eugene Peterson and J.I. Packer, Bruce Walkie, Gordon Fee, these guys. Um, James Houston was actually the founder of the school. He was my mentor and was taking several courses on um, spiritual renewal movements through church history. And of course, one of those great movements was the story of the Moravian. So kind of touched on it a little bit there and was interested. I thought, I want to learn more about this. What was ironic was that I was uh, prayerless myself. And so <laughs> I was just fascinated about the story. Yeah. In our journey at church then, we just, you know, the typical purpose-driven big church, you know, doing great stuff, biblical stuff, but yeah. we weren't real prayer devoted yet. And you know, we're, we come up with all kinds of plans and then sort of get, invite God into it to bless it. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To hear the Lord first, and then you obey Him. <laughs> come on, um, yes. But in 2006, I was in a season of just burnout, working too much, I think. Got to that place where I just didn't even want to read the Bible anymore. Didn't like people. It's bad when you're a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Um, our elders uh, allowed me to take a little six-week sabbatical. And I thought, hey, I should go to Hairnet. So I actually took a t- trip over to, to Hairnet to learn about this story. And so that's kind of where it, where it kind of kicked in gear and had a real yeah. visit in there. And then um, from then on, I've been just fascinated with the story and reading lots of books and doing some scholarship. And, and at the same time, um, just asking the Lord for that Moravian spirit, you know, the heart of the Moravians, what is that? And what compelled them uh, to pray night and day and to go on gospel mission? So. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. So so let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about the story. Some people are going to know it. Some people may not have heard it, or they may have just heard a little snapshot of it. But tell us about what happened there in Herrenhut, Germany in the 1700s. Well, let me start with this. I mean, just back to church history, I think one of the, one of the lessons we learn is that there's no great movement of God that's ever occurred that did not begin with the extraordinary prayer of God's people. It's, mm-hmm. you know, out of Scripture, but we see this through church history. Prayer always precedes the next great movement of God, right, in our lives, between our churches, our families, and in the nations of the earth. And so I think one of the great stories that, that uh, shows us this reality is the story of the Moravians. So we're talking early 1700s. Uh, the Moravians, like we mentioned at the beginning, uh, they began the first Protestant 24-7 worship-saturated prayer movement 
they launched a hundred years of Christ exalting prayer that literally changed the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1727, the Moravians, they experienced this powerful visitation of the Holy Spirit. It was during a communion service. And it was described as a baptism of love, mm. where God's love was shed abroad in their hearts, was poured out in love for one another. They came to a place of forgiving one another, uh, releasing offense and bitterness, and uh, reconciling, you know, in the grace of God. And following this, the Holy Spirit, as, as He was poured out upon them, He compelled them to launching the prayer to build this canopy of united prayer, strategic, sustainable prayer that continued for a hundred years. Some say 120 years. So I kind of go with a hundred, right. but we know at least a hundred. Unceasing, meaning there weren't any breaks in this. And as they prayed night and day, this included men, included women, included children even, young children. God yeah. began to missionaries and send them to the nations of the earth. And we figured about 300 plus missionaries responded over that 100, 120-year time frame. Wow. And they helped establish over 5,000 different missionary settlements around the world. So it's quite a story. Um, yeah, it's an incredible story. And I'm always asking, you know, why did they do this? And what was the motivation behind this? And I really think that really what, what compelled them to pray night and day and to go on gospel mission, we'll maybe share a few of those stories, but was the really the absolute worth of Jesus. Like their mm-hmm. purpose, their mandate was to win for the Lamb who was slain, the due award for his sufferings. Uh, one yes. of their models was they would cry out, our Lamb has conquered, let us follow him. Yeah. So I think, you know, even for us today, I think that's one of our lessons. You know, what would it look like to see a, see a modern day, arranged with prayer missions movement raised up on the earth today? Well, it's going to happen, I think, because of that compelling motivation of the absolute beauty and worth of jesus amen come on yes incredible i uh was able to discover some of the details of the story while i was there in heron hut and and it, it was just so so fascinating that this town was really uh established because there were missionary or there were christian communities that were fleeing uh persecution and this guy zinzendorf count zinzendorf provided this land for them these Protestants who were fleeing persecution, and they were from lots of different groups. And that was why they were, there was some infighting and there was some division and about theology, about the practice of their faith. And so this Moravian Pentecost, this time of, of reconciliation and unity and this baptism of love helped, helped bring them together around Jesus, around Christ, and began to heal, heal their hearts together. So Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a beautiful story. So many values I think the Moravians carried that that the Lord is wanting to speak to us about. Above all, that vision of Jesus, the worthiness of the Lamb to receive it all. But the value of unity, of reconciling together, of of having Christ at the center, the value for prayer, the value for missions. So uh let's let's get into some of this stuff. T- tell us about this hundred year prayer meeting. <laughs> From what you understand from your study and research, I want to I want to talk about the other stuff, the missions and everything too. But just give people a little bit of a picture, paint it for us of what exactly was was happening during these hundred yeah. years. I mean, the the Heronut community was small, right? It was like three or four hundred people, right, sustaining this thing. Yeah, real small. Yeah, it started out, you know, after the outpouring of the Spirit there, 
God gave Zinzendorf the verse, Leviticus 6, uh, chapter 6, mm. verse 13. And we're familiar with that. Most of us probably of that the fire should never go out on the altar. And how he interpreted that was fire related to the glory of God, the presence of God. And what would fuel that, that would happen as we would offer our lives as living sacrifices on this altar in worship, in prayer. And as we did that, God would respond to that sacrifice of thanksgiving. He would respond to that with his presence night and day. Uh, so you got a vision of, you know, what could it look like to see a canopy of 24-7 prayer now? So how it started, they actually invited 24 men, 24 women, to each commit to pray one hour a day. It was called hourly intercession. I'm having a hard time getting people to pray an hour a month or an hour a week. You know, <laughs> hour a day. I can't even get pastors to do that, even myself at times. But uh, I love right. that. Taking an hour, setting that aside each day to seek the Lord, to pray the scriptures, to worship and pray uh, and give God his due. Uh, it just, it's amazing. And, and kind of too, is it started with this. And then what they did is they added people to this. Um, mm. in, in one building, like we would think of in terms of, you know, an international house of prayer or a prayer room that we have today, they did a lot right. of that corporate prayer, but it was more of a prayer vigil in the sense of people were committing to an hour. It was almost at least two or threes every hour. And some of those were families, some of those were spouses, uh, some uh, men with men, women with women. In fact, they would uh, now could go to work unless somebody was first praying. So I love that. That's cool. So many people. I think those early days, there was about 77 people that were committed to this. And uh, part of that 77, they added some children. There were seven children that were you know, ages 4 to 14 that were part of this, doing an hour of prayer a day. Love that. Wow. Sinsendorf would get these uh, people that were committed to hourly intercession together once a week. And he would share his heart with them uh, about what he was sensing they should pray for, uh, scriptures that God would give them each week. And um, as this continued, as the missionaries were going out, they would be getting letters back and forth. So they were praying for these different missionary bases and the different places they were going to to share the gospel. So that became kind of a community rallying point for them once a week. Uh, it was also saturated with praise and worship and songs. Uh, yeah. They were a singing community. And so early in the morning, at least 15 minutes, sometimes more, but at a minimum, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at night, they would come together as a full community and praise God and uh, commit mm. their day to the Lord and then their night to the Lord. Uh, and then that prayer chain would continue, you know, out of that place of praise. So, yeah, pretty inspiring. I, this, again, goes on for 100 years. I mean, like, that's phenomenal. Crazy. Yeah, sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> When I was uh, writing my book, David's Tabernacle, I have a little paragraph or two about the Moravians or whatever, but I went and looked up in their journal, because you can read, they have the Moravian journal of of some of their history, and I realized that praise and worship was a part of the intercession, and it sort of said, almost like, if you run out of things to pray for, just start praising God, <laughs> just start offering songs and praise to the Lord during that time, and and I thought that was... That was amazing. I was like, oh, this really is the spirit of the tabernacle of David is, is yeah. worship and prayer and intercession there together and flowing beautifully together. So let's talk about the missions mm -hmm. uh, because that was, that was a huge part of it. I don't know if that was, you know, from the very beginning, but it didn't take long for them to start getting launched out when they started 24-7 prayer. All of a sudden, 
Anybody that's done prayer ministry before knows that God tends to do this. Sometimes he sends you as the answer to your own prayers. So that seems to be what what started to happen for, for these guys. So talk about the missions movement that flowed out of there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, one thing to add to this too is I just, um, I've been fascinated with, you know, Zinzendorf, born in 1700. He was a young man uh, leading this Mm. massive movement of prayer and missions. I mean, it's 27 at the outpouring of the Spirit, right? And then so many of their missionaries that were sent out were young people, you know, some of them teenagers, uh, many of them in their 20s. So I think it's it's neat to see uh, this is true for church history as well. Often, you know, children and young people will help uh, create that culture of kind of a, a revival atmosphere yeah. that leads the generations into encounter and uh, a movement of God you know, that has great impact. So I love your point about the Tabernacle of David because I think that's exactly what was happening. In a biblical sense, this is an expression of the spirit of the tabernacle of David in church history. And, you know, one of the promises there is that when this is restored on the earth, we know it's been restored in heaven already, (laughs) but we want to see the fullness of that now in the nations. And as that's happening, the great promise there is that men would seek the Lord. Gentile nations would uh, begin to come to Christ. So I really think this is a beginning part of the church of Worship saturated prayer 24-7, and it will lead to missions. Well, that's what we saw in our city, too. It was amazing. When we started doing night-and-day prayer in Bellingham, all of a sudden, we have all these missions groups that show up. We have a YWAM base get started. And, I mean, I could go on and on. The, the leader of Frontier Missions moves to our city, <laughs> starts a discipleship school. And we were trying to do any of this. It's just as we were praying, all of a sudden, God began to put it on the hearts of His people to respond. Yeah and give their lives to the nation. So, yeah, incredible. Um, those first two missionaries that were sent out, and they had this pattern. Uh, they would all gather around as a community. Uh, they would go in pairs and two. And most of these were lay people, so they had a job. They weren't traditional missionaries like we would think of, so nobody was supporting them. They were stepping out in faith. And then where God sent them, they would use their trade. You know, maybe they're a baker or a a construction guy or, you know, whatever, they would use that to bless the community that God had sent them to, which was a huge thing because then that would help open up the door then for them to share the good news of Jesus. But uh, they would they would be gathering around this community and then the two missionaries would be out in front. They would be kind of looking out towards the nations and they would ring this bell and then the mission yeah. turn around and they would declare, may the lamb who was slain receive the due reward for his sufferings. And then they would go, and that, like, literally, the community would send them. And some of these stories, I mean, we know these first two missionaries, and, and from then on, and West Indies, Danish West Indies, I mean, these guys, we read in the journals, that they were willing to sell themselves into slavery in order to reach the slaves with the gospel. Phenomenal. I mean, over a 10-year Incredible. Period, you're talking about 13,000 baptized new believers, you know, little small church communities getting started. Basis of 24-7 prayer. And uh, just it's just an amazing story. And, and the, the radical commitment, too, I think, which came out of the place of prayer to start and their intimacy with Jesus. Like, they had such a profound love for the Lamb that their hearts were willing to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow the Lamb wherever He would send them. Well, I read about stories that they would literally hold a funeral service in what was called God's Acre, where they had their 
their cemetery. Yeah. And um, the families would be there. I mean, mom, dad, and the kids, you know, I mean, extended family members, the community, and they would have a, a memorial service and sending off the husband or the dad knowing that they wouldn't return. Some of them actually put their own wooden caskets. Oh, my goodness. And that's where they were buried when they, you know, I mean, it was just like they knew that they would probably not return. But Jesus is worthy of that. Yeah. And there were the peoples of these nations that needed a touch from God. Oh, it's yeah. awesome. Great movements amongst the leprosy camps, uh, movements in South Africa, incredible movements of prayer and mission. We know, of course, some of the stories of John Wesley um, in, you know, modern day England. Zinzendorf helped him actually get the whole Methodist movement off the ground, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> just to, yeah. Cut, uh, to, to hear the stories, it's like, wow, what would I look like today? You know, what would that look like in my life? I know we're not all called to go on gospel mission, but we're certainly all called to pray for this and to God's heart, you know, uh, the fulfillment of the Great Commission in our generation. What would it take? Yes. What kind of prayer would be needed for that? What kind of atmosphere of praise and worship? Uh, I know Jesus is willing to be 24-7 prayer. I really do. I, I think that's how it happens in heaven. <laughs> well, we should be yes. doing it on the earth. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. One of the things I was struck by in a fresh way while we were in Heronhood and also last fall, I was in Moravian Falls here in North Carolina, which is near one of the Moravian settlements when the missionaries came here and settled in North Carolina. One of the things I was struck by as I've been freshly inspired by this story over the last year or so was how small their town was, how few people it was, but how much of an impact yeah. they were able to have. They were able to sustain 24-7 prayer yeah. for over 100 years. They sent out more missionaries from their town than the entire continent of Europe did before them. And I just go, oh, man. Mm. You know, it seems like the task is huge, and in some ways it is. But in, in another way, it's like all it takes is like yeah. those that are willing, those who are willing to say, Jesus, you're worthy. Yes, here I am. Send me. You know, I'll pray. I'll go. Whatever you want. I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. Yeah. And if you get a small community that's willing to do that, man, you yeah. could see 24-7 prayer in thousands of cities, right? You could see... You can see the unreached people groups reached, you know, in a generation. And so that's what's been inspiring me, especially on the on the prayer side, just because that's uh, something I'm super passionate about, too. It's like, yeah, this this idea of 24-7 prayer, like, it's not that far-fetched. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying everybody and every ministry has to do it or it has to be in one building or anything like that. But the truth is, like, if the church had a revelation of, the worthiness of Jesus to receive day and night worship and prayer. Yes, sir. We could do it in thousands of cities all over America. We could, you know. <laughs> you know, these are these are prayer groups of of twos and threes. I mean, like you're saying, it wasn't a lot of people, but right. that's doable. And even in you know people's world today, and I mean, how many of us have an hour or something that we do every day? I mean, most of us do. Yeah. We organize our lives around entertainment at times. I mean. So could there be 48 people in a city that could just give themselves to an hour a day? And, and yeah. not just prayer, but I mean, what if 45 minutes of that was just put on a worship CD and glorify God? I mean, that's enough. He's worthy of that. Yeah. Uh, it's a simple prayer, you know, to God. I, I think that's what God's looking for. 
And I love the place of agreement in prayer. Uh, but mm. you know, that's what Jesus said. Two or three agree. I'm there in your midst. And this is kind of, you know, part of our, our role as the people of God, I think, to legislate God's will on the earth through prayer, through praise and worship. Mm. It just takes a couple people, you know, that would agree with his word, pray in the Holy Spirit, you know, sincere hearts of faith. I think God can do immeasurably more. I love my favorite story with Mike Bickle. You probably heard this before, but I share it all the time because I just love it. It's because, it's, it's, you know, the reality is a lot of house of prayers around there. I mean, just small numbers of people. And it feels yeah. like we're hanging on by a thread, you know, often it's just, <laughs> it seems like there's nothing else out there, you know. He shared, Mike, in the early days of IHOP, shares a story, you know, about how he was coming up to a prayer meeting in, in their prayer room and he hears uh, songs. It was like an orchestra sound, like angelic, you know. And he's like, right. must be a really good prayer meeting happening. <laughs> yeah. And he just sees like two or three people up in the front. And he's like, well, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on. He goes up there and sits down. They have a prayer time together. Just normal prayers, you know, nothing fancy. Just giving yeah. their weak words to Jesus, but praying the Bible and, you know, they're praying in faith, trusting God. But he was wrestling with this and he asked the Lord, you know, why, you know, why did I hear this? And the Lord shares with them. I think this is so true. He shares with them. This is how heaven always responds when just two or three seek my face and pray. Mm. Angelic host. I mean, the heart of God. I mean, we have no idea what's really going on in the spiritual realm when just two or three come together. And I just, I think that's so encouraging because it's like, you know what? My weak words, you know, God is being moved. I mean, heaven is responding. God's pouring his spirit out and he's releasing his power. And that's where yes. we got to come with that kind of faith. Even when it seems like there's nothing happening. No. Amen. That's right. Yeah. Small prayer meetings transform the world. I'm convinced of that. And I love big prayer meetings too. Those are great. Yeah. And those are fun. And I love doing it with other people. But, you know, when we're, when we're talking about we get to touch the heart of God, we have a voice before yeah. the sovereign creator of the world wow. <laughs> who's, who's good and loving. Yeah. If we, we get to touch him together and come to agreement, like you said, with each other and with him. Oh, man, he can do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> he can yeah. release his power into the earth. And we don't need a crowd to do that. And of course, we want to mobilize prayer. We, we should all do that. But we can know in faith that even if it's just a few of us, yeah, we have we have the attention of heaven. Those angels are coming and all, all that kind of stuff's going on. Sometimes we get little glimpses of it, but a lot of times we don't. <laughs> we just do it in faith. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. We have this little phrase, uh, little keys open big doors. You can see oh, I love that. Called prayer, and you know, maybe a little small group, a prayer group, you know. But it really yeah. can if we'll engage in this, in sincere faith, Christ-exalting worship. It can open up a big door for a five awakening in the nations. Yeah. Well, what are some of the little keys that we can get from the Moravians? Uh, I know we kind of shared some of the story and uh, some of the heart behind it. Maybe talk more about that. What do you feel like the Lord's doing right now in our generation? What's He saying to us on this 300th anniversary year of the founding of of Heronhood? You know, you released this book this year, probably on purpose. I, I, I would imagine that it's the timing of the Lord. So what is God speaking through this story to us right now? Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. 
This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together, teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart, interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges, and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there. Well, as I showed in the book, let me give you just five, and I'll focus mostly on the last one, but I think five marks of the Moravians that they're like lessons that we can learn from. I mean, I think uh, first is just the idea of strategic missions, reaching the remaining unreached peoples with the gospel. This is so on God's heart. And our God's a global God, so we need a, a global vision and really ask him for his heart for the nations that he so loves, that he died for. We all need to be engaged in that at some level. Um, mm. Some of us are called to go. Some of us are called to give, uh, certainly. But all of us are called to pray, I think, to that end. How do we pray then for the nations in an effective way? So that's, that's number one. Number two, I would say uh, just the idea of night and day prayer. I think this is what God's doing today. I think he always has been. But I think he wants 24-7 prayer in every place. My favorite verse for this is Malachi 1.11. And this yeah. is based big on the pattern of what's happening in heaven. Even what right. David saw by revelation, and one of the reasons mm-hmm. he started uh, the Tabernacle of David. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, you know, God says in Malachi 1.11 that he's going to come as the Lord of hosts, make his name great, that from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord right, would be praised. And, but how did that happen? Well, he says in every place, incense and praise would come yep. up before the Lord. So the prayers of the saints intermingled with worship and praise, right? And a pure offering, it would come up before the Lord night and day, right? Rising to some place where it says night and day, this would be happening. And he says it in every place. And so I think that's uh, on God's heart today. There'd be expressions of this. And you can call it a house of prayer. You can call it a tabernacle of David, you know, prayer divided churches. I mean, it doesn't matter what the language you use, but it's this idea of there's these canopies of 24 7 unceasing adoration, praise, and prayer coming up before God. Now, the purpose there is that his name would be made great. It would be glorious and exalted. His name would be treasured in every place. So lots of different ways to do this, I think, but we can learn from this model of the Moravians. There's a lot of other house of prayers around the world, too. So I just encourage all of us, you know, what would it look like in my city? What's my role in that? I think we can all be part. Uh, Number three would be the idea of humility. And I'm just so struck by how this small community, how God impacted the nations, how God used them. 
you know, they, they saw themselves as ordinary believers that nothing special. They understood that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. <laughs> no one deserves the grace of God more than anybody else. And uh, the Lord can use uh, hiddenness. He can use humility. And we know this is biblical, right? That God dwells in a high and holy place, right? Isaiah, but he also dwells in him who is humble and contrite in spirit. And so if we're going to be a people that are attractive to the presence of God, where God is going to be pleased to come and dwell in our midst, he's, he's among us, but this idea of him having a home in us and among us, you know, a deep place of his abiding presence. It's not just a visitation, but it's an actual habitation of his presence in our midst. And that would be night and day. It, it will have to be a broken and contrite people. He dwells with the humble people, right? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But we're never going to be, be able to be used by God if we're not in that place of understanding our spiritual bankruptcy. We have nothing apart from Jesus. And that helps us come to that place of prayer and worship as well. So I just think that's a, that's a huge thing. I think what flows out of that too, and this is what helps bring us to that place of John 17 unity and family and oneness is that we have to learn how to love one another. Often in the prayer movement, it's, it's vertical and as it rightly should be, that he is so worthy, so glorious, and he's yeah. our treasure. He's our great reward. I mean, really, he is our inheritance. At the same time, that has to be lived out in community with real people in the real world. You know, we learn to love each other. That's the great commandment. And this is the mark of the Moravians, I think, almost at the highest level, that they, they truly learned how to love each other, honor each other, bear each other's burdens, you know, across different denominational, even theology lines, uh, different generations that were able to live this out. Some of them from different national uh, ethnic backgrounds come together. I mean, can you imagine all the, the different racism that was going on in that day? I mean, all the tension that was happening. Only by the Holy Spirit right. can you bring them together. So they learn how to love each other. And I think, too, in, in that sense of loving one another, we understand that we need one another, too. I think this is so important in our day. Think about it generationally. I need the fathers and mothers that have gone before me. This is what we're doing. We're learning from the Moravians. You know? There's a generation coming up that we need to be there for. There's different gifts in the body that we've got to learn how to honor each other's streams and gifts, you know, the, the fullness of the expression of the body of Christ is beautiful. I think you've got to do that as family though, right? It can't just be a unity for unity's sake. We have to learn to love each other. Right. You know, I just got such a heart for you, Matthew, when we were back there, learning about your family and just hearing stories and being in the prayer room and going on walks and laughing and crying. Yeah. And I just, we just got to do life together a little bit, you know? So I just, I carry you in my walls. Yeah. We're starting, mm. got a ways to go. We're starting to be family. You know? Right. I think that's what God's really wanted to do today. Yeah. You see the, the family altar prayer restored. I think the last, and this is the most important to me. In fact, it's the only way you can do all the other four is this courageous resolve to behold the lamb, the lamb of glory. I think the Lord is calling us back to beholding him. And as we behold him in his glory, revealed as Christ crucified, we'll have a place of encounter that changes us from glory to glory. You know, Zinzendorf had this encounter when he was a young man, probably a teenager, where he looked up at a picture of the crucified Christ in a museum and just gets undone. The Holy Spirit just speaks to him, falls on his knees. At the bottom of this was the cap of this picture was this caption. This is what I've done for you. What will you do for me? And that idea of Jesus himself, the son of God, giving him everything giving his life, pouring his life out of love, 
when we didn't deserve it, and it just struck him to the core. And it was out of that. He spent a couple of hours of just thinking and meditating, remembering what Jesus did on the cross, giving of his body and his, his blood. Mm-hmm. That marked him for the rest of his days. And he talks yeah. about that. His, you know, his hymn writer wrote 2,000 plus hymns. Some of these are focused on the lamb and the blood and the cross. And uh, it's just amazing. Well, a ton of his sermons are just saturated with language around the cross. So I think we really need a cross-centered theology today to motivate us in our prayer, motivate us in our, our missional life. Greater love has done than this than he lay his life down for his friends. And so the cross is the, is the greatest display of the love of God. But we have to go there and we have to receive that love. And I think that's one of the, one of the reasons that he instituted the, Lord, the last supper, the, Lord's, the table of the Lord, right? We've got to just continually come back, remember, ask the Spirit of God to illuminate Christ crucified to us through the Word of God. And, and, and as, as that revelation comes, as we hear and as we read and, and study the, the Word of God, as, as, as the Spirit does that, all of a sudden now we take that in, right? By faith, we appropriate it by faith. We trust it. And, and this is that reality, I think, of the great promise in John 6, and oh, I just love this, where Jesus says, those who eat my flesh, those who drink my blood, abide in me and I in them. And it's eat and keep on eating. It's in the continuous present there. And so as we feed and, and drink in, right, uh, in, in a spiritual sense, his very body, his very blood, that the real presence of Christ, we take that in at the table of the Lord together. We can do this individually. We can do it corporately. It, it, it's what helps us enter in and experience and encounter the abiding presence of God. Jesus promised it. And I think it's one of the most needed things today. I just feel like God's calling us to come back to the table. A great yeah. communion revival. Oh, he's worthy of this. And that's what, this, what happens is when you do this, all of a sudden there's this automatic response, right? When you feed him, you begin to think about him, right? <laughs> yeah. Feast yeah. him, right? It's like you, there has to be a response of praise and a, an offer and, and, and a laying down of our lives. And, the, the, you know, healing flows out of the cross, right? We're healed by his wounds. And deliverance of power over sin comes through this, through, you know, we're set free by his blood. There's power over sin and the spiritual warfare that we encounter. I think communion is one of the great hidden weapons of spiritual warfare. Wow. I think about, and there's so many things we could talk about around the cross, but, you know, this yeah. is, so we're going to experience this abiding presence. Got to get back to the table. And this is what the Moravians did. I mean, honestly, yeah. they were, their prayer times, their worship meetings, their preaching, how they lived this out. It was all motivated, inspired by the worth of Jesus as the Lamb of glory. I love it. So Zinzendorf sees this painting of Christ. This is what provokes him initially. Then he invites all these people onto his property. There's infighting, there's division. He begins to try to disciple some of them, bring them together at the table. And it's at communion that God pours out his spirit, at the Lord's Supper that God pours out his spirit. And then they're provoked by who Jesus is, the Lamb of God. And then they're compelled to pray and then to go, and they're carrying that motto, and they're carrying that in their hearts. And I know there's a picture of the lamb that's the Moravian emblem. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they just carry it every, everywhere they go. I love this. I'm so thankful, Jason, for you for trumpeting this. I know that that others are beginning to as well, and I'm encouraged by it. It's provoking me mm-hmm. and encouraging me to think about Jesus not only as our resurrected mm-hmm. Savior, but Christ and Christ crucified. You know that Jesus is in heaven with scars in his hands and feet forever. It's it's crazy. He's the Lamb of God forever. I think yeah. we're going to be for eternity and eternity, we're going to be reflecting on and contemplating and responding to and praising him for what he did at the cross. You know, in heaven, he's the Lamb of God slain for us. So yeah. may it be on the earth as well. I know a lot of people are emphasizing communion more and more, which I think is great. One of my favorite moments from being at the Send in Kansas City back in May was when Lou Engle came up and facilitated communion with tens of thousands of people uh, in the stadium together. I know he's carrying that word um, as well. So, man, so good. That'll probably be the next book for you, probably. (laughs) Something about the Lamb of God, something about Jesus and Christ crucified. So, yeah, anything else you want to say about that? Here's we're getting close to wrapping up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just highlight two books, my two favorite books on the cross, if you're interested. Uh, This first one is called The Cross by Bob Sorgan. This is a rich book, just nuggets in here. And then my other favorite book is a, a gal by the name of Sandy Kurt, Sandy Davis Kurt. She's actually a PhD. I did her PhD on the cross. And uh, this book called Unquenchable Flame. Oh, mm. a great piece on there on fire in the altar and what that really meant in its context. And yeah, she really loves the Moravians as well. So yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think the Lord's going to uh, put us before the fire of his love. And no greater reality than coming back to the cross. So I think you know, yeah. Jesus is, is uh, standing right now as a worthy lamb, looking as if he'd been slain. In the center of the throne, it says, that I think he needs to be adored and worshipped in the center of the throne on the earth, right? The altar of our hearts and our families and our churches uh, and cities. So amen and amen. Let's go. Amen. <laughs> Come on. Awesome. Jason, thank you for for being on the podcast. Would you just maybe pray over those who are tuning in, listening, watching to this for a revelation of this more and more? Yeah, Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to be together today as family. We so honor uh, Matthew Lilly and the uh, Wake of the Dawn family. Lord, how you're using them, so many in their community, and even those that are, that are here with us on the podcast, I bless them today. We ask, Lord, for that ultimate provision. Uh, I ask for you to come, Lord Jesus, as the bread of life from heaven and feed us. I ask for a spirit-inspired insight, revelation, illumination of Jesus and Him crucified in that alone. I pray that we boast in the cross of Christ. I pray that your love would be poured out upon each one of us, that we would encounter the height and width, depth and breadth of the love of Christ. Lord, I pray and ask, Lord, that Jesus, you would take your rightful place in the center of our hearts, on the altar of our hearts, God, and we would lay our lives down as living sacrifices. And in this place, Lord, as we lift up our weak voices in prayer and praise and worship, that you would be pleased to come and consume us, change your glory, rest upon us, O God, we ask. Come as an all-consuming fire. Let us do this together as a family. Lord, forgive us for any of our sin, we pray. Lord, that 
that you'd wash us clean by your blood. Bring us back to your table. We ask, Lord, and the prince cities all over there. God, the twos and threes, you would raise them up to trumpet this message of the glory of the Lamb, of deep humility, of learning to love one another. Night and day prayer. We'd be a house of prayer for all nations and give ourselves to strategic missions. Reach the unreached. Those that, Lord, the, the millions that don't really. We commit ourselves to that, and now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to include a link to the Moravian Miracle book that Jason wrote in the description of this episode so everyone can go get a copy of that, learn more about the Moravians and some of what we talked about today. Jason, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. Be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or a review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today, and don't forget, Jesus changes everything.